It is a great joy to be here today with Monique Dusan. She is the founder of the Center for Biblical Unity. I was first introduced to her by listening to another podcast and uh, have really been blessed by her ministry over the last several months and uh, reached out to her a few months ago about doing a uh, interview and she she has uh, graciously decided to do that. So we're glad to have you with us today, Monique. Why don't you just kind of introduce yourself to those that are watching that may not be familiar with you and your ministry and tell us a little bit about yourself and about the Center for Biblical Unity. Hi, thanks so much for having me. I am Monique Dusan, and I am the founder of the Center for Biblical Unity. We are located out in California. Um, the Center for Biblical Unity is a really just an organization, a ministry that seeks to equip Christians, ministries, pastors to be able to have biblical conversations around race and unity. And we were founded quite, I would say, definitely by the Lord, but by accident in some ways. Um, in November of 2019, I felt like the Lord was telling me, you know, hey, the Center for Biblical Unity, this is a thing, this needs to be a thing. And I didn't understand why at that time. And so I put it off. And in February, um, officially, he was like, you know, hey, this needs to be a thing. And so we did the paperwork and were approved to be an organization. And just a couple of weeks later, we had Ahmad Arbery, the video of him being um, him being killed was released. And then a couple of weeks later, there was Breonna Taylor and the situation with her and the police. And then a few weeks after that, there was George Floyd and the body of Christ began to, I feel like, flood to our Facebook page and emails asking questions like, how do we do this? How do we do biblical unity? We can see that there's a problem, but, you know, are we defining the problem correctly? There's just a lot of questions. And so we've been able to step into a space of saying, look, the Bible does give us very clear instructions for justice and unity. Now, how do we work that out? How do we um, participate in unity with one another. And so that's the space that we're in. That's the conversation we're having around America and just super excited to partner uh, with different ministries and organizations in that capacity and to see what the Lord is doing. It definitely is a conversation I think we need to have. And, you know, 2020 has been so uh, interesting uh, to say the least. We've learned a lot of new vocabulary words like social distancing and those kind of things. But a term that I was introduced to in 2020, although it's not a new term, but it's new to me, and that is critical race theory. And I know that um, in this conversation that the church is having, uh, many uh, believers have kind of um, gotten swept up in that. Uh, and I just... I'm curious to know, because uh, hearing some of your testimony and some of your story, um, I know that you uh, were involved in critical race theory at one point, and uh, just kind of want your own perspective of, you know, is that a healthy way to look at things, and kind of just take us on your journey uh, with the critical race theory um, model, if you will. So a very lay view into critical race theory, um, it is the look, the critique, a critical look into society at injustice, at oppression, at how are people um, being unjustly treated, 
being oppressed, so to speak, or um, how are people acting in ways that are unjust? How are people um, acting in ways that may be oppressive? What systems are in place within society that perpetuate injustice? And so it's it's a critical look into society on, you know, all of these integral, you know, situations like like it's important for us to look at, you know, how are people that, you know, would might I might I might sit next to in the pew. How are these things impacting the the normal everyday person? It comes down, though, from Marxism and the the Marxist school of thought. And so after um, there was, well, there was a group of people um, who were Marxist thinkers and they formed the Frankfurt School. And from the Frankfurt School, we they developed critical theory. And it just kind of passed down the line of this school of thought of how do we look critically at society, not just based on economics, not just based on, you know, who are the proletariat and who are the bourgeoisie, but, you know, how are people in power continuing to have an oppressive stand against, you know, people who have no power? And so we we fast forward to the 70s and you get what's called critical legal studies looking at the legal field and how are people being unjustly treated there and from there directly out of critical legal studies and those thinkers and um you know, professors and things like that, Derek Bell and um, others, we get critical race theory. And it just, again, looks at based on race, how are people being um, unjustly treated? Who are the oppressed? Who would be, who would be, you know, classified as an oppressed people group? And so that is, like I said, a very lay look into critical race theory, just looking at how are people being unjustly treated and how are um, how are people oppressed within within a society. Now, the problem with that comes, you know, and I I mean, if if it was only the framework, if it was only an analytical tool to be able to say, hey, you know, these are these are the things that are happening within a society, that would be one thing. But it is being adopted as a worldview. And so with the worldview, then people are using it to answer some of their you know, more fundamental questions about life. And so, you know, how am I saved? Like, what's the salvation process? It, it would be doing the work of anti-racism. It would be lamenting for your whiteness or repenting of whiteness, divesting yourself of whiteness. It would be reading the books or, um, you know, actively doing all of these other things that that lead to you being a better person if you are white. And so right there to me, there's a there's a fundamental clash of identity that it doesn't keep us or bring us to a place that the cross does of saying, hey, you are creating the image of God. You are not um, unequal. CRT immediately holds to this, this differing of place, even for those who are in the body of Christ, because you are now grouped by your ethnicity. And if one ethnicity is here and another ethnicity is there, there's no real meeting of, of ground or a meeting of, of identity or of space between us. But with the cross, what we see is that these things no longer matter. It's that 
the dividing wall is now broken and the two groups have been made one. We are no longer, you know, defined by our ethnicity. We are defined by either being in Christ or being in Adam. And so the work that needs to to be done isn't this work of, um, you know, anti-racism. It isn't a work of lamenting or repenting for my whiteness, but we are told to to keep the unity through the bond of peace. We have new instructions that we've been given through the word. And what culture says is that these instructions aren't good enough. There's more that you need to be able to, or more that you need to do to, um, to fully and completely be either saved or a good person, depending on, you know, the world's view. And so that's one of the reasons why I think it, it, it doesn't belong in the church, I would say. Um, another reason, again, like just like I said before, like the, the concept of our identity, who are you? I am a child of God. I am not, you know, defined by my ethnic makeup. Um, and, you know, I don't see, I, I don't, I think when we, when we come to one another as brothers and sisters from that standpoint, I don't see you as being my oppressor. I see you as my brother. And that's a huge, a huge stand because when, when we come to one another as family first, it changes the conversation rather than when I come to you as being my oppressor first, or when you come to me as seeing me as someone who is first oppressed. So to, to kind of a follow-up question with that, would you say that CRT is missing the root of the problem the root of the problem we would say i think as believers is our sin and sin nature mm-hmm. whereas crt might would say and i don't know i'm, I'm, I'm not as familiar with it as you are um, you know uh, the oppressor is the problem or, or whiteness is the problem or whatever the case might be and if we don't address the root of the problem then we don't really find the solution for the problem. Is that, is that correct? Yeah, that that's 100% correct. It's that we have a problem that is first rooted in sin. It's the wickedness of our hearts. And to think that in any, you know, capacity, we will ever be able to get past the wickedness of our own hearts is it's just a false narrative. You know, I'm not saying that we, we should not speak out against racism or, you know, work to end things that potentially keep um, people down with, and it doesn't matter what your skin color is. If there's um, a system in place, or if you know of a person in your congregation and they don't like, they don't like white people or they don't like black people, like that's something that needs to be addressed. And I cannot live in, in a reality or a false reality that by doing all of this work, I will somehow change um, the wickedness of people's hearts because the word tells us that, you know, the heart is deceitfully wicked. And we will continually live in these heart or in this skin um, and with this reality until, you know, the new heavens and the new earth. Yes. This is this is the reality. But what we see with critical race theory and I would say even with some social justice warriors is this idea of utopia, this idea that 
you know, if we can just do these things, we will reach a place where we no longer have injustice or racism. It's a different worldview. Again, it's a different come from. My come from is that people are flawed. People are sinful. People have wicked hearts. The other side would say, well, if we just work hard enough, then we can overcome these things. Again, it's a very work-based worldview with a lot of things that need to be done and especially done by white people in order to be able to overcome the wickedness that we see in society. And that's the connection that we see to Marxism. Uh, I know a lot of times we, we throw labels around, you know, we say, well, that's Marxist or this is that or this, but, but this literally was born out of Marxism. And um, that Marxism kind of teaches that, you know, if everybody has everything equal, then that will solve all of the problems and, mm-hmm. and it, it will have will have that utopia. And and the again, they don't deal with the problem of of man's wickedness. And yeah. Um so that's that's an interesting perspective uh, um that I don't know that a lot of people, you know, realize. Again, I, I was very ignorant of of CRT before just a few months ago. And um the more that I've, I've looked into it and looked into organizations that seem to be promoting it, um, the more concerning it is. And, and so as, as believers, like you said, we want to speak out on things that scripture addresses, things like justice, things like, um, not being a respecter of persons, um, things that, you know, James talked about when he wrote his, his book and, and things of that nature. So if, if CRT is not the answer, it would be easy to say, you know, a scripture is the answer, but can, can we look at some scriptural principles, uh, biblical principles that, that give us a better answer to the real life problems that we see happening, not only in the world, but even within the body of Christ and within the church? Well, first I would say we need to define our terms. You know, one of the things that I see within social justice, the social justice movement and um, CRT is, is a new adoption of terms. And so you get a redefinition of like racism. You know, racism is now prejudice plus power. But if you don't have power, how can you truly be racist? Because you don't, you don't have the full scope of what it takes to be racist. Um, you know, we need to have a biblical defin a biblical definition of these things. So, you know, the word racist isn't or racism isn't in scripture, but we do find partiality. And what does that look like? Um, you know, what does a race-based partiality look like? How, what, what can we take from the, the lens of scripture and extrapolate to bring into our modern context and address, it that, address those things that way? Another term would be justice. You know, in, in scripture, I believe that um, we have some pretty clear boundaries on what justice is and what is it, what it looks like. But today, that's been adopted by many people in in the social justice world and critical race theory world. And it would say that well, justice, you know, fights against all oppression. But okay, how do we define oppression? What happens is that well. If you're against um, if you're against racism, you know, or partiality, then you're you also need to be against all of these other things. 
what people aren't understanding, and let me let me clarify so so that it makes sense. What people don't aren't understanding is that when we don't have clear definitions, the social justice critical race theory side can slip in other terms and other principles and say, well, this is also justice. These people are also oppressed. And so we must also speak out on that behalf. I just finished Ibram Kendi's book, How to Be an Anti-Racist. And in the chapter on sexuality and genders, two chapters, he says, you can't be anti-racist without being um, a feminist. So the feminist is anti-racist and the anti-racist is a feminist. There's a, a mixing there and the call is now to do justice on behalf of these oppressed groups. Is that making sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we, we have to be able to really define our terms. When we look at, at scripture, you know, one of the things that I just spoke on was um, the book of Ruth and Boaz. And understanding how Boaz treated Ruth was because of his understanding of the law. And in understanding the law, he was able to justly treat Ruth. He did justice with Ruth um, and with Naomi. You know, this is this was a very scriptural definition of a, a, a group of people that in our terms today could be considered marginalized. You know, she was a widow. Um, she was poor. They didn't have food. Like how how do we how do we treat the people who might live on the fringes of society? What has God established in His Word to be able to care for the poor, to be able to care for the widow? Because we see those principles in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. It's not that we see it in the Old Testament and then you know it's never carried over to the New Testament. We have no responsibility to orphan the widow. They can just go over there and you know sit on that island. That's not the case. There is is a transcultural principle, like my partner Krista says, a transcultural principle that we gain through the testaments that um, we can look at for ourselves today. And so when we look at Boaz, we see that he, he treated Ruth a very specific way. He could have, you know, allowed for the people who, um, like the guys, when she went to go glean, he could have allowed for them to do her any kind of way, to rape her, to treat her horribly. He said, no, you know, don't touch her, give her water. He gave her food and he sent her on her way. Even when um, he had the opportunity to be her kinsman redeemer, he said, no, there's someone else who's first in line. He was acting in a very just way with her. And so this is what, um, what I believe the church needs to look at. What does it look like to do justice? But what does it look like to do justice biblically? Not, not from the definitions that culture is setting forward and saying, well, this is justice. Speaking out for LGBTQIA, that's justice. Um, you know, looting, looting is justice. That's me getting what's owed to me. You know, when in Exodus it says, don't run with the mob, you know, like these are, these are the things that we as the church have to really dissect and get into and understand like, this is what biblical justice is and this is what it isn't, you know, the word marginalized isn't in scripture, but we can look back, we can take a definition and, and say, you know, what are some, some, 
realities of people who might be on the fringes in, in society, because the Bible does speak to these things. God has set up laws to protect the orphan, to protect the poor, to protect the widow, you know, to protect the foreigner. There are things set up that as Christians today, we can be participating in. And I think it's a real challenge for us in this culture, those believers that are trying to do things the biblical way and trying to speak out against sinful things, whatever they may be. Um, and obviously in this context, we're talking about uh, people that, that are showing, you know, uh, partiality because of, of ethnicity. Um, but it, like you said, if they don't fall in line with certain other things, then they are, um, they're not really um, speaking for, um, they're, they're not really, you know, speaking for justice. Uh, if they don't, and I think you, the, what you said about defining um, what is oppression and, and who is oppressed and those kind of things, if we don't have a standard of truth, we don't have a biblical definition, then who's to say what is justice? Who's to say what is oppression or who is being oppressed? And so how, how do we handle that when, when, we're trying to do what God has called us to do, yet others say we, we haven't gone far enough or we're, you know, and I know we can't live for the applause of people, but it's, it's a real struggle sometimes. It is. It definitely is a struggle and you will lose friends and you will, you know, possibly be canceled and all of those things, but you can't live for the culture. We have to, as Christians, be a very distinct people. We set the example. We say, look, this is the lane that we're going to be in. And this is the lane that, you know, God has called us to. And script, I mean, but that's not an excuse to say, well, scripture doesn't talk about, you know, this. There's no verse for racism in the Bible. So I don't need to do anything with racism. No, it's not that either. The scripture is clear on how we treat one another through hearts that are transformed by the gospel. And so if, if you can, you know, and I'll give an example, I'm not saying that this is what I believe, but if you look at, at a people group and they are being, you know, killed um, just because of the color of their skin, white, black, brown, anything in between. And you say, well, that's not my business because the Bible doesn't speak to that. I would say your heart hasn't been transformed by the gospel. You need to get in the conversation with the Lord because this is something that would definitely go against God's heart for an image bearer. So, it is, it is, it is difficult. It is something that, you know, we, we wrestle through because I don't have to conform to culture. And there are things scripturally that are listed that we should be participating in. How do I help the poor? How do I help the foreigner? How do I help the orphan, the widow? You know, what, what culture would say is that simply because I'm black, I am now marginalized. I am now oppressed. And I don't believe that. I, I just don't. I don't believe that 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 biblically we see oppression going just because of the person's skin. Now, you could say that 
let's take back in the in the you know 50s when or you know any time after slavery and the reconstruction era and um what i could consider in some parts of the country a hunt on black people with lynching and jim crow and you know all of these issues yes i would say at that point Black people were marginalized or on the fringes because of the things that they experienced because of their skin. But it's not just the skin color that would make someone of a person living on the outskirts or on the fringes. It, it's coupled with other things when we look at scripture. One of the things that I think is true is that when we address a problem um, unbiblically, in trying to solve a problem, we end up creating more problems. Mm -hmm. Do you see that with CRT and some of yes. the organizations that promote CRT? And if so, can you give us some examples of how that's causing yeah. more problems rather than solving the problem? So one of the things that I see with, with CRT that causes more problems is that when, and gosh, I find this a lot in churches, um, in, in the, the conversation of we need to uplift black voices, that means then, and it's only certain black voices, I'll put that out there first, it's not every black voice, but in this conversation of uplifting black voices, that means I have to demean and put down white voices. There's not a space for both of our voices to be considered of equal importance. And to me, that that's a huge problem because we're brothers and sisters. We're in the same family. And as, when I grew up, it wasn't that, you know, my brother or my sister's voice was more or less than mine. My parents, my mother, like valued our voices equally and would give like, hey, okay, what does she have to say? And what does he have to say? Or there was times when I look, I don't want, shh, everybody just needs to be quiet. You know what I mean? But um. It, it, it wasn't a thing of, well, my brother's voice is more important than mine. My brother's voice is um, not more influential, but it, it, it should be considered of more weight than mine um, by any cost. So, you know, what, what we see now is my experience, my truth and things like that. And because I'm a woman of color, my experience and my truth would be held at a higher weight than yours simply because of the fact that I'm black, but my experience or my truth is often shaped through the lens of my own personal history. And so when we look at that and we take that as gospel truth, that can become a problem and create more division than any, you know, any goal of unity or any stand for unity ever would. Good point. Um, I think about the challenges that we face uh, as, a ch as the church and as believers uh, in the climate that, that we're in right now. You mentioned earlier um, some horrific incidents that took place earlier in the year um, in, in regards to people of color. Um, uh, you mentioned George Floyd and um, Arbery and, and, um, and others. Um, and, and it seems like the climate that we're in right now is that's, that's just on the forefront of everybody's mind. What are some things that we as believers can do and as the church as a whole can do 
to offer a better alternative to CRT and and um, and and deal with some of the the uh, the challenges that we're that we're facing right now in this climate. Um, one, I would say that we need to start off with seeking truth. You know, it it does feel very heavy. The climate is very like racially motivated and things like that. And you know, for me, I wonder how much of that is media driven. You know, how much of that is just a com- a constant bombarding of a narrative because you know media wants us to lean a certain way. So I would say first, we need to seek truth and we need to seek evidence. As Christians, we don't just jump on the bandwagon with the mob, you know, or with culture and say, well, this is what it must be. You know, it must be racism because um, this person was shot by a white police officer. So now we are 100% certain, you know, before any evidence is released or um, statements are taken or anything like that, body cams are are viewed, you know, that this must be racism. And we automatically slander, demean, and basically, um, you know, hang this person out to dry because they may have been white killing a Black person. So I say we need to seek evidence first um, as Christians and not join the mob. Again, we need to define our terms before we get into, you know, these deep conversations. Um, We need to be having these conversations in relationship, not just, you know, on our social media platforms, not thinking that, oh, I'm going to go and say all lives matter as an evangelical tool. You know, that's not that's not the evangelical tool for this hour, you know. And then. getting in your community like what what are the needs of your community how do we exegete the community what's going on how do you use your dollar your voice and your vote to be able to change things within your own community who are the people kind of like um like the rich man and lazarus you know my my partner krista pointed out she was like you know it's not that that the rich man was you know bad or or um evil because he was rich you know it was the wickedness of his heart he walked over the guy that he could have been feeding the guy lived at his doorstep you know and he kept walking over him it was the condition of his own heart his own personal righteousness um that was the problem in that story and so how are we executing our personal righteousness with those around us you know in our family at our job within our community who are the people that we walk over when we go into the store every day and how are we um how are we being a stand for our neighbor right around us? And then too, as we as we look and, and exegete our community and we begin to use our voice, vote, and um, our dollar in that sphere, then we can take a bigger, a bigger look. You know, what is happening within our nation? It are the statistics that being that are being put out there accurate to what's truly happening. You know, there's a lot of conversation about systemic injustice and systemic racism. And, you know, I'm still doing a lot of research and thought, having a lot of thoughts about that, about my, um, about all of that within myself and, you know, conversations with others. But if systemic racism, you know, is a thing which I, I, not sure where I fall with that. I don't, I can honestly say that I don't believe that it's every system, that every system needs to be demolished and defunded and, you know, all of those things. But if we do find that there are um, 
systemic issues within certain systems, how do we, again, use our voice, our vote, and our dollar to be able to speak into those things? As Christians, I believe these are things that we should be concerned about because they directly impact the person that I'm going to sit next to in the pew. You know, if I know that there's... um you know, a white person sitting next to me in the pew and they can't go to this restaurant because this restaurant chain serves white people in, in a very derogatory manner and they demean them when they walk in. I need to be, as a person of color and as just, I feel like a Christian, using my voice, my vote and my dollar to be able to say, hey, y'all shouldn't, y'all don't go over here to, to, to Joe's. Don't go over to Smokey Joe's. And, and I don't, if your restaurant is Smokey Joe's, I'm not talking about you, but you know, like we don't need to go there. We need to be standing for our brother and our sister, despite their color and saying they, they got some issues going on. So we don't support that because you're my brother or my sister first. You know, not necessarily because of color, but this impacts you because of your skin color. But because you're my brother, I'm going to say, hey, I, I, can I talk to the owner of Smokey Joe? Because because he he really, he tripping, he owns some stuff because this isn't the way that we do it. And especially if the owner of Smokey Joe is another Christian that's in a local body. We need to have a conversation. Do you know that your congregant owns seven of these, you know, Smokey Joe chains? And anytime a white person goes in here, they get treated like crap. How, what are we going to do at, within the local body to say that this isn't okay? Because right now you're acting as an unbeliever. See, exactly. these, these are the things that we need to have conversation about. But these, again, start on very personal levels. It's personal acts of righteousness. And how are we confronting these personal acts of righteousness or unrighteousness within the local body? If you got somebody in your church and they acted as an unbeliever, you might need to treat them as an unbeliever, as opposed to trying to treat them as a believer or befriend them to keep their tithe. These are conversations that we don't want to have in church, though. We need to really get real as the body of Christ, because otherwise people on the outside are going to always look at us a little skeptic. They're going to always have that little head tilt and be like, well, what's wrong with the church? How are they going to keep that guy in church? And you know how he treats Black people, or you know how he treats um, Latinos, or you know how he treats white people. We, we got to get real. When, when the church gets real and we decide we're going to start having some serious conversation, I think that's when when people on the outside will say, hey, we need to start looking at the church and their model and what they're doing because they're they're really acting in unity. They're really unified. When we can start having a conversation of you're my brother and you're my sister, whether we're white or black, and what does it mean for us to truly live and walk in unity as opposed to what can I do to make me feel good in this moment? I think we'll we'll, we'll be more successful. I think somebody said that. By this, all men will know that we're his disciples. What well, is that? I think Jesus said that, yeah, that we love one another. And uh, he talked about in his high priestly prayer there in John 17 about, you know, the unity of the body is what mm -hmm. sends a message to the world. Um, yeah. And so I think we are the ones that should be taking the lead in living out our faith in culture and, and, um, and not looking to the world for solutions, but looking to God's word for solutions and, and living those things out. Uh, 
in closing, one of the things that I've appreciated about your ministry and uh, your um, Center for Biblical Unity is your, I don't know if your theme or your motto, but one race, one people, one savior. Can you kind of- mission statement. Mission statement. Yes. There you go. Can you kind of give yeah. us a, a rundown as to- um, as to that mission statement, why why did you choose that, and kind of what it what that means? Um, well, one race because I believe in a historical, or we believe, my partner Kristen and I, we believe in a um, historical Adam and Eve, and so if we believe in a historical Adam and Eve, technically we're all cousins. Yes. Basically, <laughs> we all have the same uber great grandparents. Yes. Um, and then you know, Paul says that. Um, God is, Jesus has broken down the dividing line, making the two groups one. And so we are one people. If you are, you are either in Christ or you are in, in Adam. If you are in Christ, we are one new people and we have one savior. And so all of the work that you can do is not going to lead you to being saved. We have one savior and our unity is, is found in him. And so that's where it comes from. One race, one people, one savior. Amen. I love it. And I love my shirt. Yay! If people want more information about uh, you, your ministry or Krista's ministry, um, what's the best way for them to find you guys online and and uh, and order those shirts or what other what other? Yes, get your shirt. Get your shirt. <laughs> Um, you can find us on our website at centerforbiblicalunity.com or find us on Facebook at the Center for Biblical Unity. You can just Google us. You know, if you put in Google, we pop, we pop up and um, yeah, come, come hang out. We are like working hard to create family. You know, this is, this is the goal is to understand that we are family and we should be participating with one another from, from that position. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate your ministry, and uh, I hope that people will take some time to look at you guys' YouTube videos and uh, those conversations, I think, that are really important to have and uh, be able to look at things that we're dealing with in our society from a biblical perspective. It really means a lot to me that you took time out of your day and ministry to, to spend a few minutes with us. And, I'm uh, so glad that you asked. Thanks. Yes, we, hope, we hope that it'll be a blessing and a challenge to, to all those that are able to watch.